My name is Jamie Piles. I joined Samaritan in December of 1996. We were homeschooling our kids and we were already thinking outside the world's box, if you will. And I saw a little tiny classified ad about this new kind of idea I'd never heard of before. My first reaction was, that's the kind of thing that we would do, isn't it? And so I finally called the number, talked to them, and the more I asked them questions, the more I liked their answers. Hey y'all, welcome to Cross Politics on the Fight Lab Feast Network. Pastor Toby Chalk Knox, I'm the water boy. You know, and a lot of people are kind of, you know, making fun of, you know, Black Little Mermaid, like woke, woke Little Mermaid. Okay. I think for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> okay. I think Black Little Lur- Little Mermaid's not believable because she's swimming. What? <laughs> what? What does that even mean? It's, he's being racist. He's, it's, it's a racist I, I, joke. It's I, don't know, of, I don't know what this even means. Well, yeah, I have my. I mean, I just, you know. All right, moving right along. Page yeah. fifty. All right, <laughs> George Gilbert. Page fifty is a distinctly Christian marketing company striving to help Christian-owned businesses grow and succeed in our digital mm-hmm. age. They don't want just to make a paycheck. They want to change the world, and that means building it alongside you. The mission is bigger than just Sunday. Page 50 wants to help Christians recapture the work week, economic and political influence, and the public square. Page 50 doesn't work with just anybody, but if you're a Christian believer, they want to work with you. Visit page50.com. That's the word page, the word 50, F-I-F-T-Y dot com, and see what they can do for you today. That's page50.com. Why are you bringing up sore stuff, Gabe? <laughs> I don't, I, there's something that's going on here. Oh, I don't yeah. know what this means. Oh, but, he knows. But I'm, I'm grateful that we have George Gilder with us Me too. today. He is one of the leading economic... The controversial uh, yeah, yeah, George yeah, Gilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's, he's been he's crazy flamethrower for, yeah. for decades. Yeah. Uh, one of the leading economic and technological thinkers of the past, I don't know how long, 50 years probably by At now, least. is the author of... I'm, I'm, I'm 83. Okay, so 83 years. He's been throwing flames. <laughs> Straight out the womb, baby. Yeah, he did. Including the book, he's the author of, of the book Men in Marriage. He's yeah. a founding fellow of the Discovery Institute, an influential venture investor. Uh, he lives with his wife in Western Massachusetts. His brand new book is Life After Capitalism. Mr. Gilder, thank you for joining us on CrossPolitik again. Glad to be here. <laughs> you didn't run a 5K this morning, did you? Because you tend to do that. You did that before our conference last year. Yeah. Well, I got a slight Achilles problem running in the world championships in Torun, Poland <laughs> a couple months ago. So I've been relegated to a fitness center where I do a fake uh, a fake 10K, actually, oh, this wow. afternoon wow. on a on an elliptical machine. So it's, I hope to, st- I, I hope to finish my six weeks of elliptical and return to running wow. in four days. Oh, but man. pray, pray for my Achilles tendon. If you can, uh, we will. Uh, only when I'm running 10 K, somebody chasing me <laughs> and I'm done. In about well, I'm swimming. <laughs> <laughs> um, George, as a, as a proponent of free markets, what do you mean by life after capitalism? Well, it's it's worth understanding that capitalism was named by Karl Marx. Uh, and um, Karl Marx upheld 
materialist determinism. But little understood is that Adam Smith, even though he was a theist and, and a great philosopher, also mimicked physics. He wanted to repeat an economic model that uh, captured the kind of determinism and perfection of Isaac Newton's great machine of gravity. It was going to be transformed economics in the form of, of economic incentives. And human beings were reduced to a puppet of rewards and, and punishments. And I, I call this the materialist superstition, and it's, and it's twisted all economics for decades, centuries. And uh, today, I think it's actually undermining capitalism in a serious way. So I'm introducing the in information theory of capitalism that, that says that human creativity in the image of our creator is the foundation of economic growth and progress. Wow. Uh, I, I, so I wanna... you're basically saying like like economies are, are personalized. They're made up of people. Um, they aren't made up of kind of this brute force of incentives and um, uh, punishments. If if you, uh, you know, is is that kind of what you're arguing there? Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. It's it's. I say that capitalism is essentially an information system, not an incentive system. It's not a great machine. It's not a science of scarcity. As Thomas Sowell pointed out decades ago, 1971, the Neanderthal in his cave had all the physical resources we have today. The difference between our age and the Stone Age is entirely the expansion of knowledge, mm. and uh, so uh, this and knowledge has no limits. So I'm transforming economics from a great machine based on scarcity and zero sum games into a science of abundance based on creativity in the image of our creator. Yeah, I I just I just love that. Yeah, I, I, I love yeah. I love that starting point. I I want you to expand on that notion of materialism as sort of the chief modern superstition. What what, what do you mean by that? It, they believe that wealth is essentially physical things, scarce resources, and therefore implicitly. If one person gets more of these scarce resources than another person, uh, other people have less resources. And so uh, somehow economics connotes a zero-sum game. The rich are somehow exploiting the poor. It's a model that emerged from Marxism, and it's kind of applied cosmetics, but in the end, it's a determinist mix of scarcity. And I believe that, in fact, 
the only what remains scarce when everything else grows abundant is time. Mm. And that um, and that's the only real scarcity in economics and and real money represents time. When you run out of money, you're in fact running out of the time to earn more money. And so then someone who is um, not very rich, a poor person, part of what they have is they don't I mean, they don't have money. So then they don't have time. So they don't get knowledge. How, do, how does one break that cycle? No. What cycle is that? The, the cycle is that uh, is that we live in a world of abundance and increasing abundance. Mm. Uh, there's a great book by uh, uh, Gail Pooley and Marion Tupi. Gail Pooley's at Discovery Institute with me, and Marion Tupi is at Cape Cato, and it's called Superabundance, and mm. it demonstrates that um, measured by time prices rather than these totally bogus economic numbers you read read from government bureaus. They take uh, massive bureaucracies spreading across Washington to determine whether prices are going up or down. But... Uh, what, it, when you simplify economics by saying time is the scarce resource, you can show that the time that a typical worker has to spend to buy the 50 major commodities that sustain our lives has dropped 75% since 1980 while uh, world population has grown 75%. Mm. Human beings are not just mouths, as economists think, they're minds. And human minds are the great, echoing, the creativity, the, echoing their creator, human minds uh, constantly expand resources. They don't merely consume resources. So then we actually do the math backwards then because we assume that we got to have less people and we'll get more stuff when really the more people who are, have their minds are put together to work together, create more resources or more. We have, we get, we gain more wealth. Absolutely. Mm. More, more people. That's what Tupi and Pooley demonstrate. And incidentally, this book, I wrote the introduction to it, but this book got a 20 minute, Endorse, endorsement, essentially, by Larry Summers, who used to be Obama's uh, economic advisor, chief economic advisor, was head of, president of Harvard, but he's an eminent economist. And it's and there are a number another Nobel laureates have endorsed it. It's it's a major breakthrough in economics and it changes economics from the materialist superstition the economics is a dismal science of scarcity into a science of abundance where the only scarcity is time. Early in your book, you say you, you don't you, you talk about um, the uh, the deficit, our current um, uh, American 
uh, deficit budget, federal government deficit. And, and you don't seem to be quite as concerned about it as most conservatives tend to be. Why not? Because I, in Latin wealth and poverty, my big worldwide bestseller that Reagan read and distributed to his cabinet. I, I, uh, uh, the uh, what was the question? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, uh, and I have wealth and poverty. Something I said in wealth and poverty. What was the question? You, you don't seem to be as concerned about the federal. Oh yeah, deficit. the deficit. I quoted Macaulay. Macaulay's History of England, and uh, uh, the. Macaulay wrote uh, some of the greatest prose in the history of economics in describing the massive growth of the British deficit all during the Industrial Revolution and the spread of the English Empire all along, around the world. The English national debt constantly expanded and all the leading economists, every last one of them, deplored the national debt of Britain. They said it was going to bring us down one of these days and 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 maybe uh, next year it would be all right, but soon enough the whole economy would collapse. The only thing that matters is freedom and entrepreneurial creativity. Uh, as long as that isn't hampered, then uh, the debt is sustainable. Mm. But if we but if we uh, de declare a climate change religion and shut down the economy for COVID or something, and uh, just generally uh, succumb to this economics of stinginess and scarcity, we. Uh, we uh, we are doomed, regardless of whether we have a debt or not. Mm. Uh, Carter, uh, Jimmy Carter, almost um, balanced the budget and balanced our trade, and uh, had the worst economy in uh, our recent history. It's just it's uh, what matters is. This growth of knowledge and learning and freedom and faith. It's not uh, uh, some uh, accounting uh, analysis that economic ec economists provide. George, you know, most, you know, kind of the, the, gaps here are the worldviews here are usually atheists are some sort of Marxist socialist and usually Christians are some sort of kind of free market capitalist. Uh, how much of kind of your economic worldview is being driven by your Christian faith in, in the Bible? Well, I certainly, um, a key theme is that, uh, you don't get rich by taking, you get rich by giving that, uh, uh, essentially, wealth is a product of altruism. Entrepreneurs have to respond to the needs of others, and uh, they have to collaborate with others, and they have to res respond to the creativity of their creator. This is 
this is the entrepreneurial role in the world. And it conforms with uh, Christian truths that doesn't deny Christian truths as the idea that human beings are kind of functions of of carrots and sticks and 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 rewards and punishments that incentive model now the other facet of information theory which which also accords with christian belief i i think is that creativity always comes as a surprise to us um information as claude shannon said is unexpected bits it's uh the amount of information uh if everything i say to you today you already know no information is being transmitted information is unexpected discoveries and and uh and creativity always comes as a surprise to us. <laughs> if it didn't, as Albert Hirschman said, we wouldn't need it. Yeah. <laughs> and government planning would work. Because <laughs> government planning is not creative. Right. No, no, it's not at all. It's all, yeah. it's all they want everything to be predictable. Yeah. Uh, George. They're uh, tr they were trying to guarantee the future, and you can't. Right. And uh, God, God doesn't allow us to guarantee our futures. Mm, that's that, good. That pr that produces poverty and failure. Mm. Uh, George, uh, we're excited that um, Canon Press is actually uh, republishing your book uh, from uh, the '80s, um, "Men in Marriage," and um, it's I don't know if you know, but it's actually causing a little bit of a stir, at least in in our neck of the woods. Um, uh, maybe it always has. Maybe every time it gets republished, there's, there's a <laughs> controversy. Phil Donahue comes again. <laughs> uh, but uh, in, in in the opening uh, of your book, you argue that the prime fact of life is the sexual superiority of women. And, and there's, and there's some conservative men who, who are, who are like are, are part of a kind of a, you know, manosphere, uh, a resurgence of, of biblical masculinity who, who have seen that line, I think, and, and thought, wait, what is, is George Gilder? Like, um, leading, is he leading us back into feminism by saying that women are sexually superior? Do you, um, what do you mean by that? And, and can you say anything to the men who might be generally conservative and biblical and they're thinking about manhood, but read a line like that and think, uh, you're, yeah. you're, you're going crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, my, the, a theme of men in marriage is that the man's link to the future passes through the womb of a woman. Uh, sexuality is inherently procreative and uh, and and uh, women play the central role in procreation and uh, this means that in those terms in purely sexual terms uh, women are where it's at <laughs> and uh, this uh, but uh, Men have a different role. Men are more aggressive than women. The men have many capabilities that excel women. We're stronger. Uh, we're better mathematicians in general. We're more 
interested machines and instruments were were crucial to the whole society. And uh, civilization is based on these differences between the sexes. And uh, and that's the theme of men and marriage. You know, and you know, you know, George. Um, it it strikes me that you know women are stronger. Or excuse me, men are stronger. Men are um, you know more dominant, and so often we we kind of think, well, we're the um, sexual superior superior um, uh, gender. Um, uh, um, trying to ask this question without um, it it getting weird, but like like men are the, men are the stronger ones, men are the more dominant ones. How in that uh, image of sexuality does it shake out that uh, women are the are the more superior ones in this situation? Uh, you know, men can easily overcome a woman. It, 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 does that? Uh, I said. No, the superiority is in sexuality, and we're forgetting it now. We think, we imagine sex is is, uh, chiefly some form of pleasure-seeking or, you know, it begins and ends with intercourse. But really, sexuality is about the bearing of children and raising and nurturing children. And in those roles, obviously, women are absolutely central. And since children are what connect families to the future, connect men to the future, men are dependent on women Women in this domain. Yeah. Uh, women are dependent on men as providers to a great extent and protectors and as uh, in many forms of, cre- of creativity, beyond the family tend to be dominated by men. But uh, there are different roles. Um, uh, God created us man and woman, and, and we're different. <laughs> and, uh, Crazy talk. And, Crazy talk. And, and, those, and those differences are the foundation of civilized society. That's good. And. Yeah, Joe, I think some of the some of the pushback has been that in your book, man, in uh, in marriage, it seems that the men are just kind of like these brute forces, just kind of going around without focus, and then women are these um, uh, civilizers. Yeah, more civilizers and kind of the savior of man's sexuality. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, uh, go ahead. Go. 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 Yeah. Well, I, I wrote a, one of the themes of men and marriage is the difference between, you know, we've all the, the economists tell us that, um, you know, there's a lot of sexism in this economy and thus women get paid less than men and earn less money than men and, and thus are somehow victims of the patriarchy. There are all these themes. But the fact is, a single women earn earn more uh, than comparable single men, uh, and uh, and uh, it's only married men that out earn 
married women. And that's because married women are distracted to a great degree by uh, their nurturing role, which is absolutely central to the survival of the society. And also, in a less recognized way, to giving men a tie to the future, to release them from the short-term, otherwise short-term perspectives of their sexual nature. I think, though, I want to push back a little bit, George. Don't hurt me on this. Uh, (laughs) But it seems, though, that this makes woman out to be a more moral individual where I think, like, for instance— a long time ago, like let's say 30, 40 years ago, women weren't invested in porn the same way they are today. There is a difference in the moral, um, the moral ground that's been lost. In, in, go ahead. Invested in, in porn or what? Yeah. yeah they, um, I mean, th- that, I believe, is the breakdown of the family. The family is the foundation of civilized life and uh, marriage and family and and what we call poverty and what we call the generation and breakdown is mostly a reflection of the breakdown of the family structure that gives meaning and continuity and futurity links to the future for our lives and gives deeper meaning to our lives uh, in the context of uh, our creativity in the image of our creator. Maybe, maybe can I try? Yeah. Take I, a step I, I just want to say that we don't still have those kind of women anymore. Like, so because of the breakdown of the family, now those kind of women who would have been more civil or, or restorers, they, they don't exist anymore. It, it, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of men that that's right. There's a lot of men are saying, um, now, maybe maybe in the 70s and 80s, that was still the case, but there, many of them are saying a lot of women have uh, slept around, a lot of women have done the porn thing, many women have had multiple abortions, many, you know, chasing their careers, and many women have yeah chased the career thing. And so some are saying, isn't this, isn't it, doesn't it take two to tango, George, isn't it, don't both men and women need to be civilized? And yeah, that, that's that's why you need the church. Why why you need uh, faith? Uh, I mean, that's the real the breakdown of the family. I think is caused by a breakdown mm. of the moral order, which is fostered by churches and families and traditions. Um, and information theory, the low entropy carriers, the predictable. Um, meaning-bearing structures that uh, accommodate unexpected creativity. Mm. Do do you think, um, so would you say in the same way that women can play role, uh, a role, uh, a virtuous woman, um, a woman who is in line with her nature, uh, the way God made her, she can play a role of a kind of uh, savior, civilizer to men. Is, is there a comparable way in which, uh, when a man then um, marries a woman and commits to a woman, he is also um, uh, a civilizer to her? That he is a savior to her? I think that's true. That's that's a good point. I don't focus on it in uh, 
men in marriage because I think throughout human history, it is mm. men outside the family order uh, tend to be short-term and predatory. And, you know, I talk about the society is invaded every generation by barbarians. And uh, these barbarians are single men. <laughs> and they get subdued by uh, women and taught the long-term purposes and meanings of their sexuality. And uh, which reached through the womb of women to the birth of children who bear our genes and and our inspiration and teaching into the future, and that's that's really the foundation of civilization. I even show in Men and Marriage that the whole industrial revolution chiefly occurred in precisely those parts of Europe where the nuclear family was most established. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this, is, this has been crucial to productivity and progress throughout the history of humans. And this is uh, one of the themes of men and marriage. I, wanna, I, I think part of, part of the issue here is, you know, by what standard kind of issue? You know, by what standard are you defining um, and measuring what's superior over the other? And so part of, I think, what you're arguing here is that women's sexuality is superior over man's sexuality in, in the sense that... Um, she can make babies. She can make babies. Men, men, men can't. Um, their sexuality is uh, long-term visionary-oriented. Men's sexuality is very short, <laughs> very short-run and short-lived, and, and that your her sexuality creates civilizations. Um, you know, man's sexuality is... It, you know, only really about pleasure. Like there's, there's yeah. more than just pleasure to women. There's, there's society that's coming out of her than just pleasure and sexuality. And so I, is, is that kind of getting at like, what do you mean by superior here? Yeah, I, I think you're too preoccupied with a superior word. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, this is a book that upholds, in general, different sex roles. It doesn't mean they have to be ruthlessly enforced or mm. every woman who wants to be a lawyer has to be uh, somehow suppressed or something. Or, or a woman who wants to run for president has to be. It, does, it doesn't say that. It just does say that uh, civilization is based on on the familial order, on uh, men supporting particular women for a lifetime in order to be able to claim specific particular children as their own and have their genes and their uh, identities extended into the future and their lives given a long-term meaning rather than a short-term predatory sexuality george that's you you've been uh, involved in the conservative world for 
I don't know, 50, 83 years <laughs> since, since you were born. Yeah, my 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 dad was a was a conservative who was lost in the Second World War. I remember re- um, reading that in the uh, in the epilogue of Men in Marriage. That, that, that's right. It's a it's a it's actually a beautiful story. Um, uh, what it, what's your assessment of? the conservative movement broadly here in 2023. I mean, you were involved in Reagan administration. And before that, you've seen a number of administrations come and go. Um, you've, you've seen the conservative movement, you know, through the, the Reagan years, through the, um, you know, the, the, um, conser- the, what was it, the conservative resurgence, the Trump administration, um, you know, as a as a, one of the sort of you know, grandfathers of the of the modern conservative movement, um, uh, what what is your assessment? How how are we doing as as a conservative um, you know people in general? Do you do you are you optimistic? Are we heading in a healthy direction, or are you pessimistic and um, and uh, think we're in big trouble? Well, I th- I think that um, your form of conservatism with a Christian Foundation is uh, uh, I wrote the Israel test that's a Judeo-Christian order and I think that form of conservatism is strong And but I, I wish uh, conservatives in general would get out of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. I'm really uh, this idea of of treating your opponents chiefly as criminals or something and just obsession with various personal issues seems to me to be a great mistake of conservatism at the moment i think um uh we gotta we gotta start presenting our own ideas rather than just uh, uh obsessing with various offenses of the Left. Yeah, I think, you know, conservatism, maybe, George, you could also fill this out for me, um, but our idea of conservatism kind of came out of the 30s and 40s where conservatives started becoming, uh, gathering around what we were against. We're against socialism. We're against, you know, regulation. We're against all this stuff. Instead of conservatism has lost uh, a vision of what it's for. Um, Would you say that's fair? I think that's that's what in life after capitalism that's the theme, and uh, and I'm I I hope that uh, the book works to have some influence. It's it is having a pretty good reception now, and uh, I hope that ultimately this movement that uh, uh, Gail Cooley and Marion Tupi and others have led into superabundance will will prevail over this narrow-minded predatory kind of vision Mm. um, where the chief uh, goal is to put your opponents in jail well go buy george gilder's book today yes i got life after uh, capitalism. Go buy all his books. And of course, life after Google. Google. Yeah, you yeah. got knowledge and power. Men and marriage, which is coming out by Canon Press. Uh, check out. Yeah, yeah, out. And, and it's really exciting that Men and Marriage is coming out again. That's yeah. by some. That's my most personal book, mm. and uh, 
And I'm delighted to have it coming out again with Canon Press. They've done a beautiful design, yeah. and uh, and I think it's it's uh, a great moment for now and for an old book that was yeah. that's really 50 years old right. to wow. to be as relevant today as it yeah. was the day more relevant yeah. today yeah. than the day yeah. I wrote it. And, Can, and Canon Press is also doing a, a documentary on you. That's right. Is that right. <laughs> They've been working on it. <laughs> he hasn't seen it yet. He's like, I think they are. <laughs> well, very good. We always appreciate having you on, George. Appreciate yeah. all your work, yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, and we will be praying that your Achilles uh, is healed up and you can get back to running. Thank you so much. All right, George. Thank you, George. Oh, Thank do, you. Do you have the ad you want to read before we go? Oh yeah, yeah I gotta I'm read just it. waiting for you to. Oh, sorry, I yeah. forgot about my ad. <laughs> <laughs> One more ad. Gravity Jack is a full-service digital agency specializing in the development of virtual and augmented reality experiences, mobile apps, blockchain, and Web3 projects. Founded in 2009 as the first American agency to offer augmented reality, they even patented it. Gravity Jack's digital experiences have been a source of innovation for small business, Fortune 500 companies, and the U.S. military. Get your vision in motion at gravityjack.com. They do some amazing things with AR. You want to check those? George, things. I just sent you an email uh, about introduce us to Gail Pooley. All right, let's oh, do oh, that. Nice. Super yeah. abundance. George, you stay uh, right there. Know. Stay right there, George. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next time, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politics. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company, like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.